Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enablement Amplified. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. I am so excited to share this episode with you all. In the first week of October, we had the Sales Enablement Society, now the Revenue Enablement Society annual conference, the SES Experience. And I had the privilege and the honor of sitting down with one of the MCs of the conference, Jerry Farr, to talk about uh, a pretty exciting topic. And so I really hope you all enjoy this episode. It is a little bit special. It is a live episode recording. So enjoy that. We we just parked ourselves during the conference and, and had a good little chat. And uh, I do just want to add that Jerry has an amazing course on behavior-centered enablement. Uh, you all should check it out. His link is in the show notes. So please enjoy this episode of Enablement Amplified. Hello, hello from sunny San Diego, everyone. We are at SES and we are recording live on today's episode. We have Jerry Farr. Hey, Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Jerry. I'm from Texas. I'm in a little town called Dripping Springs outside of Austin. I am a recovering salesperson. I was a seller for about six years and I've been an enablement leader for the last nine But for the last few months or so, I've been running my own consultancy around enablement. Awesome. So tell us what question you've brought to Enablement Amplified. What if we paid less attention to learning outcomes and business outcomes and instead focused mostly on measurable behavior change? I love this question because I think for those of us on the training side of things, we know that there's a few things, only a few things that you can do with training, right? You can really only convey a new knowledge, skill, or ability. But how do you measure that? And I think you're onto something with measuring behavior. So tell us a little bit about how you came up with this idea or how you've built this into your core focus for how we enable. So like I said, I've been doing enablement for about nine years. And early in my career, I approached it like it was pretty conventional enablement, you know, training and content and that sort of thing. And we measure the, the, you know, whether people participated in training and whether they liked it and whether they learned stuff from training. And then we even tried really hard to kind of make a, a correlational argument to those who did well in training. They had better business outcomes like attainment and win rates and those sorts of things. Some good old, this is what good looks like. Yes. And so I was fortunate enough to early in my career, I just have really strong friendships with the sales leader, the CROs. And it was sort of a, a blessing and a curse. Um, it was blessed me because they were just, they're friends. So they were candid with me and then we'd go have beers and they'd kind of spill the beans and they'd say, look, you know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and your, your job's not in jeopardy or anything, you're fine. But if you, you know, kind of really press me on making a business case to the CFO about enablement, I'd be hard pressed to do that. And that kind of stung a little bit. So, I mean, I, I had always been a little bit uncomfortable with the notion of trying to, after a traditional enablement program, making a correlation or argument to business outcomes. Because you do, honestly, you have to squint a little bit to have that argument make sense. You have to really squint to say, yeah, because of this, we had, you know, bigger contract values and stronger win rates, but like, but all those other 37 things that changed in the sales org, that didn't have anything to do with it. Or ours had more to do with it than those. You, no, no one makes any causal claims, but even correlational claims are still really freaking hard. 
And so I sort of ponder like, well, what can I do that, that matters and makes a difference for the business? So measuring learning stuff, leaders don't care. Measuring business outcomes, they don't believe you. So what can I do? So I said, well, the things I can impact are whether they're actually doing stuff with the stuff we're trying to get them to learn. And I think I mean, when I talk, when I use that language to enablement folks, everyone sort of nods. They get that. Absolutely, behavior change is is key. I think the reason it that approach hasn't sort of gotten more traction is enablement people generally don't have the ground to know what's measurable. It always comes back to metrics. What's measure like if, if the objective is measurable behavior change, not just behavior change, but measurable behavior change. Okay, how? How can you do that? And in order to know what's measurable, you have to have a sort of an aptitude for data, data models. You have to have to deeply understand sales technology, sales tools, and not just conventional enablement tools, not just like content tools and that sort of thing, but your entire tool stack. Every tool your sales, your sellers are using in some way, I guarantee you those tools are capturing data somehow. They're capturing activities, they're capturing behaviors, and they may or may not be logged in, in Salesforce, but they're capturing it. And if you're knowledgeable enough or you can work with the ops team to be knowledgeable enough to figure out, given all the tool stack, what are the captural th things we can get based on the business priorities we're trying to, trying to focus on? And so I, I think, not a whole lot of folks in enablement kind of have that back, that aptitude. And lucky for me, I my brain works that way. I'm very kind of an operationally focused person. I, so what I'm hearing is everyone needs a Jerry. I, I'm on a lonely mission to to help enablement teams develop that aptitude. I love it. So let's double click on the metrics a little bit. I think there are, I'll put it this way, there are metrics that are easy to find. There are metrics that are easy to measure, and then there are the metrics that actually matter. So when we think about measuring behavior change, what does that look like? Let's just do the thousand foot view because I'm sure people's heads are swimming a little bit with metrics, metrics, metrics. So just give us the list of what things we can start to measure when we look at behavior. So let's start from the high level business need. Let's say that everyone, the CFO, the CRO, CEO, everyone agrees that win rates are too low. We need to improve win rates. And there are dozens of potential reasons for that. A lot of them honestly had nothing to do with sellers at all. Could be the market, could be competitive product, whatever. But in the world of things that, that involve seller behavior, there are still even dozens of behaviors that could potentially contribute to that and cause, and cause uh, poor win rates. Let's say we pick one of those. And let's say that one of the things we believe is contributing to low win rates is um, not sufficiently multi-threat. That our reps are you know, too frequently just talking to one person, maybe two people, and we know we need to be talking to more. Let's say that that's sort of a hypothesis that this one of the behaviors contributing to win rates. All right, so that's, we've identified that's problems. What are some of the tactical behaviors on how that shows up? So some behaviors on how that shows up, now first, they're not adding people as contacts to contact roles on the opportunity. So we're identifying that there's a gap in the process there. There's a tactical piece in there that's a gap. 
Is that what I'm hearing? So this is just one way that shows up is just a procedural thing, a tool thing. They're, they're not adding people to the contact role in the opportunity. That's one way it shows up. Another way it shows up potentially is let's say that at the end of calls throughout a sales cycle, they're not, the reps are not proactively asking about and recommending that we invite other people to subsequent calls. Hey, why don't we add the CIO or whatever, that kind of thing. Maybe they're not doing that. Maybe they, throughout a sales cycle, maybe they do have quite a few people joining calls, but only one person on the customer side is actually engaging and speaking. So those are sort of three measurable indicators that show that they're not multi-threading. So first is not adding contact roles. Second is not making recommendations on adding people to the next call. And third is only one person speaking during a bunch of calls. Turns out all three of those things are measurable. They're all three measurable. Now you do have to have some sophistication like using gong or cores or something to do those things calls. The, the other one in Salesforce is super easy to measure what the average number of contact role opportunities. So think of those as sort of, you know, problematic behaviors that we want to sort of mitigate. Okay, so that's the problem. So then the hypothesis is that if we corrected those three behaviors, the overall outcome is what we want to make better, in this case, multi-threading, which means that the overall result is hypothetically going to be higher win rate. All of that, except I use caution about taking that last step. Okay. But at least we know how to identify the gap, which is where we can start to measure things. So then the next piece is... What do we want them to do instead? Okay. So we don't, we don't want them to do those things. So instead, we want them to use the process we've defined for adding contact roles to upturn. Okay. Instead, on calls, we want to make sure that they do feel comfortable asking people and inviting people to the next call. And if you sort of dig deep into why they're not doing that, there could be lots of reasons they don't. Maybe they just forget. Maybe they're not comfortable having those conversations with those higher level people. Okay, fair. So maybe part of our enablement program is reinforcing our business value messaging and making sure that we're not just take, talking about the kind of features and functions, but what are the negative consequences of your current situation right now? If you don't do anything, what bad things happen to your business? Ah, uh, yes, the cost of inaction. And how does our solution help you deliver positive business outcomes? So just speculating that that could be one of the parts of the program we're trying to get them to feel more comfortable having those conversations so that they would be more likely to invite those people at the end of calls. So that's, that's one third thing. Then the other measurable thing, like they, let's say throughout a bunch of calls, they do have people involved but on the calls, but they're not participating. So then maybe part of our enablement program is we train on and practice on how to proactively engage people who are not engaging in a call and, and asking pointed questions that are specific to their personas. So a reminder on different personas and things that are important to them and those sorts of things. So you think you see there are different components to this. Some are kind of tactical tool based things and process. Some are kind of skill based things. Some are just reinforcing your basic value messaging. So you do all that stuff. And those things might be things you've already built into your programs already. Probably not net new stuff. It's reinforcing stuff you've already done, already done in most cases. So you, you say, you know, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Sales Leader. So I know that one of our big priority for the business right now is improving win rates. We hypothesize that one of the contributing factors to that is not multi-threading. And we have evidence of that because we look at some data and we see that perhaps they're not doing these things. What we'd like to propose to you is a solution whereby 
we do an enablement program and some training, some coaching, some content, whatever kind of things that are mitigating those three sets of behaviors. And we believe that if we do this, we should be able to move the needle um, specifically on those three metrics, the adding contact roles, saying things at the end of the call and participation during calls, right? The, in each of those cases, the baseline is here. We believe we can increase them by this. If we did that, would you be willing to commit as an executive sponsor to ensure that your managers would help us with this and reinforce the stuff we do? Absolutely. And I was going to ask the question, how do we measure the behavior change? But I think what you've just illustrated is that it's already built into the plan because you've already built those data points to show the problem. So it's very straightforward just to turn around and measure them. Here was the starting point. And then fast forward three months, where are they? Did the line go up and to the right? Right. You don't have to reinvent the metrics wheel or re-identify the outcome because you've built it into your rubric for identification. I love that. So let's say we do our initial 90-day program. We measure our outcomes. We know what we're doing. Six months go by or 12 months go by. How do we continue to show that this was valuable to our team? Oh, you're, you're, you're asking the right question. You're asking the right question. So every enablement person worth or salt knows that reinforcement is, is key, right? So behavior change doesn't happen overnight. You could do the best training program in the world one time and it's not going to change behavior, but you need that reinforcement. And I feel very strongly that in most cases, ongoing reinforcement should be done by frontline managers. So that's why in my spiel a minute ago, I asked for the commitment from the sales leader to, to reinforce to managers that they need to be involved in this. And what that can look like is they, those managers should have a regular cadence and honestly only talk, not doing it with all the reps, but for this initiative, let's only focus on specific reps for whom those three metrics are not, do, not looking good. We're targeting specific subset of reps where they're struggling in those three areas. But we ask the, the managers of those reps to have sort of an ongoing coaching cadence, maybe every few weeks, maybe month, once a month, something like that. But during those coaching sessions, really all they're talking about is this sort of set of behaviors around multi-threading. And they're looking at exactly the, the, the dashboards that we talked about already. And they're looking, referring exactly to the additional sort of frameworks and models and processes we had defined during our, during our training program. And, and maybe in a perfect world, they're using some coaching model during their meeting, but that's sort of a nice to have. But they're the ones having this series of reinforcement meetings talking about, hey, hey, how can I help you improve on these three metrics and get back to near the top of the leaderboard among your peers? I really like that because just to go back to it one more time, we've identified the skill gap or the behavior gap. And it's not only our measuring stick for our initial enablement efforts, but it's the same metrics we're going to continue to keep an eye on. And maybe we get to a point where the behavior patterns has been solved and our frontline managers can see, hey, everybody on my team has gone from the baseline to the outcome that we wanted. And now we know what good looks like. We know what great looks like. We can move on. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Somebody dropped down a little bit. We need a little more reinforcement. We'll tag in our enablement team. I think the cool thing is it's just really full cycle. And it's the metrics that actually kind of get us to what's really valuable. I love it. And so here's another kind of, you know, wrapping the whole thing up is 
let's say, you know, fast forward six months and you have meaningfully moved the needle on those three metrics and you go back to your sales leader and you're celebrating, you're showing, showing the dashboard saying, Hey, remember six months ago, we agreed we we're going to do these things. Look at these results. They're awesome. And when you, what you want to be really careful about during that kind of meeting is not pointing because what we committed to is moving the needle on these three things. We did, we did not commit to moving the needle on win rates. And that's purposeful because I believe if you try to, in, in your first effort at doing this sort of approach, you try to say you're going to make a claim on moving win rates, they're probably not going to believe you. But you do this kind of process several times in a row, five times, seven times in a row, where you identify a specific set of behavior problems. You have a, you know, have a way of mitigating those problems. You have measurable ways of de defining the behavior change and you, you see those things going up to the right, you do that a number of times, you begin to get the, the sales leader to believe you, that you, you you can identify problems and solve them in a measurable way. Yeah. Something that just came to mind, and, and tell me if this is something that's come across your work, but maybe it's an unintended consequence of this style of enablement, but I do think it's a, an incredibly beneficial one, which is that from the sales rep's perspective, they're flexing those muscles and these things are becoming so ingrained in their behavior that they're actually upskilling themselves as professionals as a benefit or a side byproduct of this process, right? 100%. It's like, wow, well, while we're at this, looking at what affects our business, we're also affecting our reps and making them better sellers. So whether it's a, a new behavior or a new skill, or it's something that they've just gotten rusty on. Like think of Michael Jordan, right? Like how many free throws did he do every day just to keep himself up to speed on a free throw? I think it's great. And, and think of the, the level of confidence the enablement team would have that they are legitimately improving rep performance, legitimately making them better. Just sure, it's sure to all these small things, no doubt, but I'm making them better in small ways. Well, I think he gives us a ton of satisfaction personally. That's, that's kind of who we are as people, as enablers. But I think it also helps us keep our sales enablement butts in seats, so to say, because we're proving our value to the organization, those those real dollars and cents and keeping our sellers happy and in their seats. And uh, wow, <laughs> I think this is a little more simple, but also incredibly complicated at the same time. But I, I do really appreciate about your approach the most is that it's like closed cycle. It's it's starting with identifying a problem. It's identifying how you're going to measure any changes. It's actually going and measuring those changes to prove what you did and that it's repeatable. So well, just to ask you this question, where do you see this style of enablement going or growing or becoming more ingrained in what we're doing? What do you see as far as this style of enablement going from here? Well, so I, I see some hopeful signs. So I've been to the Sales Enabling Society Conference. We're at one, at one right now, and I'm this is my seventh one I've been to. And this is the first one I've been to where I've heard, I've heard more than one person use the term behavior change. I love it. I've heard multiple people at this event. Really today, I've heard multiple people talk about behavior change. So I think that's a promising thing. Now... I, I do still think that even in those conversations, when we talk about that, that most people I talk to, they're not yet able to get into the, the weeds. Like when I talked about those three 
measurable indicators. I don't know that most people know how to do that just yet. And that's kind of where, where I hope to be sort of the, the catalyst. I, I honestly, I legitimately think it is the way to go. I think it's good. It's a good career move. I think it helps the business. I think it earns credibility and you begin to feel like a legitimately strategic business partner. Well, this has been awesome, Jerry. This is definitely exciting for me, just coming from the angles of enablement that I've come from. It's really exciting to learn about this new style, at least for me, of, of thinking through how we enable. So where can people learn more about this or how can we amplify what you're doing, Jerry, with behavior-centered enablement? Well, I, I do have a course that you can enroll in. If you just go to uh, jerryfar.com slash BCE, as in like behavior center enablement. So jerryfar.com slash BCE. And I have a course there and it's, you know, a very detailed walkthrough of that process that I just summarized here. Awesome. So we'll definitely be checking out the course. So last question for you. This is something that we always do here on Enablement Amplified. I always ask guests, what is an area of the enablement community or who are some people in the enablement community that you want to amplify? So I think Del Nakai and Crystal Nicosi, those two are doing some really, really cool work. In fact, they had us led a session today at the conference that I was super excited about. They're among the people who are using the term behavior change that I'm really excited about. So I'm keeping an eye on them too. Yeah, those two are awesome. We'll definitely link them in the show notes. And of course, we will put in the link to Jerry's course. Jerry, I'm just so glad to have taken some time in the midst of the conference with all the hubbub and the traffic to chat with you and really rethink the way that we're not only identifying where we can make improvements in our sales teams, but the way we measure it and think about it. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Take care.